0: Welcome to the bit, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing the economy and finance. I'm your host, Anne Ackerley, head of BlackRock's Retirement Group. In this final episode of our retirement mini-series, Gargi Chaudhry, head of iShares Investment Strategy and Markets Coverage, sits down with Matt Soifer, head of distribution for BlackRock's Retirement Group, to discuss what's happening in markets today, the road ahead. And the impact on retirement investors.
1: On to the next session. My name is Matt Soifer. I lead distribution for BlackRock's Retirement Group, and I'm thrilled to be joined here with Gargi. Gargi is one of our absolute leading experts in the firm on capital markets. So, look, Gargi, I've got a couple main objectives for this session. One, want to talk about markets, where we are, where we're headed. Would love to talk about. The kind of tie together between markets and the impact on the end investor. But at the end of the day, the portfolio, it's owned by people. And those people, they're all on different places when it comes to this retirement journey. So let's start with the macro environment, because 2022 couldn't be more different than 2021. Economically, very different. Geopolitically, very different. And look, for me personally, I feel the undertone of uncertainty was there in 2021, Mm -hmm. but it was like super easy to just look the other way because markets were doing incredibly well. Fast forward a little bit, we're not where we were before. So why don't we just start with your thoughts on just the current market regime, and then I think we can peel this back a little bit more from there.
2: Hi, everyone. It's good to be here. Matt, to your point, this hasn't happened since the 1970s, so it's a new regime for many people. The one thing that we are very thoughtful about is What opportunities are being created right now? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But first of all, let's talk about this regime. So number one, we have inflation globally that has not been at these levels for 40 years in the U.S. But in Europe, in the U.K., we haven't seen these levels ever. On the back of that, we have central banks that will do what it takes to wipe out or at least try to wipe out that inflation. As a result of that, and perhaps purposefully, what the central banks want is to bring down demand, because that's the only way that this rising prices that we're all experiencing, whether you're signing a new lease or whether you're getting a latte, you're experiencing that price inflation. In a way to wipe that out, what the central bank wants to do is bring down demand. That's really what they're telling us and what they've been telling us for this entire year. And that leads to lower growth outcomes. And lastly, the geopolitics are interesting. So it's not only about Europe and Russia and Ukraine, of course, but it's also about China and Taiwan. So all of that means that we're in this new regime where perhaps what we've thought about in the past, where every single dip in the equity market needs to be bought, doesn't apply anymore. But I will also say, because I'm a pretty glass-half-full kind of person, that it's creating some incredible incredible opportunities, especially in the bond markets. I actually think there might be some more pain ahead because of the macro regime that we're in, but it's getting us to a place where a lot of the excesses are being taken out. The fact that we lived in a world where high yield bonds were trading 4% was not normal. The fact that European Central Bank had rates at minus 40 basis points for a decade was not normal. I think this normalcy is good and it creates opportunity.
1: Excellent. If we're going to talk about end investors, like we have to talk about inflation. Now, this is something that probably hasn't been so acute. People haven't had to really address it. In my lifetime, average inflation, 2.2%. But we know how problematic inflation can be. And if you're in a situation, let's say someone has a $500,000 portfolio, 2% inflation, low returns, boom, a third of the portfolio is gone in 20 years quite easily. And so now we're staring at a much higher hurdle. And if you're someone who's approaching retirement or in retirement, you're living off of a fixed income, inflation massively corrosive. There was a recent survey by Schwab. They found that 79% of participants reported changing their savings and their spending habits due to inflation. Pretty high number. And then on our own read on retirement survey, 87% of workers are worried about inflation. What I found really interesting was 40% of them said they had a strong understanding of the impact inflation has on their ability to save and to spend. So 40% to me, though, that's a pretty good number. So I want to get your take on what's driving inflation, how that might be changing, and maybe get your candid impression of is this going to be a little bit more bumpy?
2: Okay, so every single aspect of your life is impacted by inflation. And investors may not know the ins and outs of inflation, but they're definitely feeling it. No matter what you're doing, when you wake up in the morning, okay, you're going to the subway, that's gone up. You're getting coffee, that's gone up. If you're going for a movie, that's gone up. And I think it is important to think about, okay, so what's the future? Not just inflation till the end of this year, but really over 18 months and then five years after that. So let's talk about why inflation moved so significantly higher and why it became so concerning to the central banks this year as opposed to last year, where obviously they called it transitory, which was not right. It's very easy to say that inflation was entirely driven by the war and the impact on food and energy, but that's not really true, right? So we look at the headline inflation, which is a basket that all of us have, which is everything that we spend but that includes things that we can touch and feel, goods, and things that we consume, services. And this is a mainly service-based economy. So services is a broader part of the basket. When we think about our own lives, we spend more on things like rent and housing than we spend perhaps on clothes. So similarly, the basket for a consumer, for the economy as a whole, is more on things that you spend more money on. And then there's this concept of core inflation, which takes out the impact of the more volatile, like food prices, energy prices, things of that nature. So core inflation has actually been moving higher. And in 2021, we could say that it was these one-off things. The economy reopened. All of us rushed to go on holidays. Hotel prices went up. Airline prices went up. If you tried to rent a car last year for summer holidays, it was insane, right? So you could blame it on one-off things last year, but this year, you really can't. So this is really the crux of the problem for the Fed. But they really have to, for the sake of their own credibility, bring it back down closer to that 2% level, which is their target. Now, this is something I want to stress on. The Fed targets 2%. Why is it this random number? Why is it 2%? Because at zero, which is where Japan has been historically and Europe used to be, you get used to prices going down so you don't spend. And we never want to be in an economy where people don't spend. That's bad for growth. And three or four, it's too corrosive for your take-home pay. So two seems to be that number that the Fed and other central banks could live with. Unfortunately, now we're nowhere near 2%. The Fed will have some tools, such as raising interest rates, that forces demand lower. So already we're seeing that. We're seeing house prices and housing demand coming lower because of mortgage prices, But they don't have the tools to control the supply side. If people are not able to participate in the labor market, if food and energy prices remain high, if there is a chip shortage or a lack of availability to get components that you need to make a car, all of those things are not what the Fed can help with. And this idea that they can bring the inflation back to 2% feels unlikely. I think inflation will come down. But I don't think no matter how high the Fed takes their funds rate to, I don't think they're going to be able to bring it back below two. The trade off, of course, will be that we'll go into a deep and crushing recession, which also they won't want to tolerate. So it does put them in a hard place. And I think they'll eventually realize that there's two sides of their mandate. There is the inflation side, but there's also growth and the labor market. And they'll be willing to perhaps live with two and a half not five and a half.
1: So can we talk a little bit about housing? When we we're considering people are going into retirement, their biggest expenditure is going to be housing, unless people actually own their homes, and a lot of them won't. So whether you have a mortgage or whether you're renting, you've got the Fed raising rates, it's certainly hurting the real estate market. Do we get in this cycle, though, where people start to rent more because they can't afford to buy a home Rental prices really start to move up quickly. And then I think about people would like to be able to access the home equity if you own your home. And that's an important piece of potential cash flow for people that are approaching retirement. So maybe just some views on what you think is going to happen in the housing market.
2: This is important, not just because of what the housing market represents to all of us in terms of our ability to live somewhere, because we all have to live somewhere, but what it means for wealth generation, but also because of the role that it plays in inflation. I talked about how inflation is broken down into goods and services. a huge part of inflation. So if housing continues to go up, the Fed has to perversely continue to raise rates. So let's talk about how this housing market is different from and similar to our most recent housing experience. And I think this is a bias that we all have, right? When we think about an experience, we anchor to recency bias. So right now, when we think housing, we're thinking 2007 and crisis, So the one thing I'll say is that if you look at the number of floating rates, so number of people that own their homes but have a 30-year mortgage versus some interest rate that will float higher, that are going to be impacted by higher mortgage rates, it's a much lower number. It's about 10% of outstanding mortgages. So while housing is going to slow down and has slowed down already, It won't have the same impact on the broad U.S. economy that we saw in 2007, because such fewer people, at least in the U.S., where a 30-year mortgage fixed rate is a concept, a lot of people have fixed mortgages. About 90 percent of the mortgages are fixed. So that's one. I think you make a, a very important point about renting. Obviously, housing affordability has become really challenged because interest rates have gone up. But housing prices haven't declined yet as much as we expect to see them decline. Year over year, housing is still actually increasing. And part of that is because of the demographics. A lot of people are moving to that 30 to 35 age bracket. And that is where you form your own household. You perhaps used to live with roommates and now you're going to get your own place. So there's a demand. And because housing has remained so unaffordable, people have not being able to or will continue to not be able to own housing, which does put pressure. You're right. It does make rental the only option. So when we look at what's happening to rental prices in some of the forward looking indicators, they are beginning to fall. They haven't fallen as much as you would have normally expected in a slowing economy Because of this dynamic where people have to live somewhere and homes are not as affordable as they used to be, just buying a home is not as affordable, the demand doesn't go away. If you're forming your own household, you have to go somewhere. Housing market slowdown is coming, but think about a single-digit growth in housing prices or just flat growth. We're not talking about a 40% declining housing prices because the organic demand is quite high but it is not going to permeate to the U.S. economy because of the makeup of the housing market, which is very different and standards are much more stringent.
1: So I want to go back to something I said in the beginning. People, they're all in different places on this retirement Mm. journey. So when you're young, you're going for growth, you're investing in risk assets, namely stocks. And then when you get ready to retire, you're starting to de-risk, obviously more into bonds. So let's start with bonds first, right? I mean, bonds have been... Phenomenal ballast for portfolios. This year, like you said, putting up double-digit losses, close to stocks. But there's some potential silver lining in this. Yields are up. There's actual yield to talk about. What's your take on what's happening in the bond markets? And do you think bonds are going to be able to deliver on retirement income in a meaningful way?
2: I think there has never been a more exciting time, or at least in my lifetime, to talk about bonds. Yes, the experience has been horrible. And I recognize how hard it has been to have your portfolio in stocks and bonds, expect bonds to be that diversifier and not have that experience. But also what we're getting now is if you're in one to three year investment grade credit, highest quality credit out there, where, again, default rates are not going to pick up meaningfully because this isn't going to be a 2008-type recession. This is going to be a very Fed-led recession, not a balance sheet recession. I think earning about 6% in investment grade in the front end, taking no interest rate risk whatsoever, or very little interest rate risk, about two years of interest rate risk, and earning close to 6% coupon that you can clip, the fixed part of fixed income, and actually even the income part, are both very attractive right now. Ability to earn that coupon, clip that 6%, I don't even think you have to be thinking about retirement. So whether or not you're close to retirement or just starting your investment journey, if you're out of college or your children are out of college, looking at bonds is absolutely essential. That's one of the best things that's happened. There's been a lot of horrible things this year, But the opportunity set that it has led to, especially in fixed income, is absolutely wonderful for every generation, certainly for retirees. But I would say even someone that's not thinking about retirement
1: yet. I want to get your take on stocks.
2: So I was just looking at the number of over 5% rallies that we've had on the S&P 500 this year. There's been about five of those, and three of them have been over 7%. And if you look back at the last 20, 30 years the average return on the S&P was 7%. So if you're feeling older and more tired, it's because the markets have made you feel that way. (laughs) Honestly, with what I have said so far in terms of the Fed, I think we could still see some trouble periods ahead. I think earnings need to still come down a little bit. We're probably going to have some delayed impacts from the rising dollar on earnings. So there are a couple of things that I think can still push equities lower. However, if you are thinking about the next, Five, 10, 20 years. If you look at S&P earnings and a PE ratio that was 22, and now we've re rated down to about 16 and a half, still not cheap, but very fair. I think this has created an opportunity for those that are a little bit longer term investors. And especially when you look at some of the growthier parts of the market, anything that's more interest sensitive, if you look at growth sectors, which have obviously been hit much more this year. Possibly can continue for another few quarters. But again, finding value in some of those pockets, if you're a longer term investor, I feel very optimistic about the opportunity set that we're getting as a result of some of the repricing that had to be forced by the Fed to take
1: place. So I probably lean a little bit half empty. So <laughs> yes. can we talk a little bit about the big R? Recession, not retirement. Retirement. <laughs> There are huge portions of our population that have never experienced a recession before. It's like a unicorn. They've never seen it. If you graduated in 2009, you're starting to roll towards 35 years old. You felt maybe some turbulence, but you haven't felt a full-blown recession. But if you're approaching retirement or you're in retirement, you've seen a lot of them. So what do you think it's going to be like or feel like this time
0: Yeah,
2: the beauty about this recession, if I can say that, given my half-full status class-wise, the beauty of this recession, it is foretold. And this one is very Fed-driven. I'm going to give it a 90% chance that it's not going to be as protracted and deep. It's probably likely to be a little bit shallower because, again, this is forced by the Fed. I also think that it's going to be shallower. And I think that some of the tools that we've had in the past, where we were at zero Fed funds rate and then we had to do quantitative easing, or we were very close to zero and had to move to zero and then do QE, some of those tools might be there, but we're also at a much better starting point. So if and when we move to 5% on Fed funds, which is where I think we're going to get to, they need not even get back to zero. I think the number of tools in the next recession that they have in their toolkit in terms of cutting rates is amazing. Last time, they only got to about that level before they had to cut to zero in the previous cycle, 2017 to 2020. I don't think that we should fear it as much as we feared other recessions. We've already seen much of the damage, not all of the damage, in the equity markets. And I think that bonds for fixed income will come back as a ballast when you do
0: find yourself in the session.
1: Okay. We will wrap it here. Thank you, Gargi. Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bid and this retirement mini series. If you haven't already, check out the previous two episodes of The Retirement mini series to get ahead of the challenges facing all retirement savers. Make sure you subscribe to The Bid wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This material is intended for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice, a recommendation, or an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any securities, funds, or strategies to any person in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase, or sale would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change without notice. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risks. BlackRock does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast for more information visit blackrock.com forward slash the bid